0: Hi this is Elliot Fishman and welcome to our latest vodcast and this is based on an exhibit from RSNA 2016 and it looks at some of the pearls and pitfalls in looking at pancreatic cancer and this is based on going to the multidisciplinary conference every week for the past 10 years. Now just some basic facts we know pancreatic cancer 12th most common cancer in the United States but it's now surpassed breast cancer as the third leading cause of cancer related deaths. And it's felt that within the next decade, the number of deaths from pancreatic cancer will surpass colorectal cancer as well. There were 53,000 plus new cases of pancreatic adenocarcinoma in 2015 and 41,780 deaths. Although the death rates for the most common cancers have declined in the recent decades, pancreatic cancer is actually flat to slightly increased. So again, uh, it's a problem. It's a problem we have no answers for right now, then we're working hard. Articles about pitfalls, a good article by Casa, recognition of the atypical radiologic presentations of pancreatic pathology, use of optimal imaging techniques including biphasic imaging, multiplanar and 3D imaging, and use of EUS or biopsy in determined cases helps avoid many of the uh, pitfalls in the diagnosis of both benign and malignant lesions. It's important to remember, and this article makes the point, that we do have typical appearances for lesions, and that usually helps us a lot, but there are atypical appearances, there's anatomic variants which can be confusing, inflammatory changes can simulate malignancy, there are atypical appearances where you tend to overlook lesions. There are lots of lots of problems including peripancreatic processes simulating pancreatic pathology, think splenual by tail of pancreas. So although it's simple and we think about pancreatic cancer as, oh, that's an easy diagnosis, the fact is many of the patients are misdiagnosed either by missing lesions early or by confusing malignant and benign lesions. Now we have a multidisciplinary conference we've written about in the past. We do it every Tuesday from 11 to twelve fifteen or so. We see between six and 13 new patients. Many of the patients have outside studies and then repeat studies at Hopkins. We can see how many errors were made, how lesions were missed early, lesions were misclassified, things that were in pancreas were considered to be pancreas, all sorts of problems. And one thing we also learned is that because of this multidisciplinary conference, In about a quarter of the cases, we actually changed the management of patients. And in a more recent publication, we spoke about that 30% of patients had a change in diagnosis. So again, uh, the multidisciplinary conference works very well. I'm not gonna speak about that in this lecture, but those of you who do multidisciplinary conference know its value, and we do it in many things from pancreatic cancer to pancreatic cysts, to liver tumors, to kidney, to prostate, to breast, the thyroid, to adrenal, you name it, we have a multidisciplinary conference and radiology is heavily involved. Now from these conferences we recognize that there are a series of errors that impact upon the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and what I'm going to do in this talk is focus on those errors. Now uh, I leave the slide in which said I only had 35 slides which was the RSNA limit but I'm just going to show you some representative cases rather than bombard you with thousands of cases. If you want to see more cases, just go to US and look under pancreas. So when you talk about mistakes in diagnosis, we talk about false positive studies. That is what can make something look like a cancer. Top of the list, otobium pancreatitis, something we knew nothing about before just a few years ago and now we know a lot about but also things like groove pancreatitis, which can simulate pancreatic head tumors, chronic pancreatitis, which again, uh, the challenge of the 5% of patients who have both diagnoses, it can be difficult. Pseudo lesions because of focal fat, the problem with picking up subtle lesions when a stent is already in place, the variations of anatomy, you know, so at times you say, oh, there's a mass present, then you realize it's simply normal anatomy So that, things like annular pancreas, for example, can be a problem. And then of course, things like by the tail of the pancreas, we have accessory spleens which can simulate adenocarcinoma or neuroendocrine tumors. Now, at the top of the list of great mimickers was autoimmune pancreatitis. This was something we really didn't know about a few years ago, and I remember looking at path reports where I thought it was a short cancer, it would come back autoimmune pancreatitis, and I would look back and say, what is that? Well, with autoimmune pancreatitis, you see a diffuse glandular enlargement with loss of the lobular texture of the gland, often called a featureless gland. You may see homogeneous iso or hypoattenuating parenchyma with a non-dilated or diffusely narrowed pancreatic duct, and halo around the gland is not uncommon. And people talk about this as sort of a cigar-shaped configuration. Now, if you look at these two images, you can see very nicely by the body and tail of the pancreas, there's fluid around them, the gland looks boggy, there's no dilated duct, this does not look like cancer, this was inflammation, this was autoimmune pancreatitis. Remember that halo is very, very classic. And articles like by the CASA, uncommon variants of pancreatitis, such as autoimmune pancreatitis, Groove pancreatitis or mass-forming chronic pancreatitis can all simulate pancreatic malignancy, leading in some cases to unwarranted surgery to exclude underlying malignancy. Now, another thing in that category, of course, we mentioned is groove pancreatitis. We just published an article about that recently, but what happens is there's inflammation between the head of the pancreas and the duodenum, and what happens is it looks mass-like, and in this case, it looks like there's a mass in the pancreas. But there is a cystic component, the location, you gotta be thinking about groove pancreatitis. And here it is on coronal, just a beautiful example. And if you think that case is easy, maybe there's a cystic component there, maybe you should be thinking pancreatitis. What about this case? You're looking at the body tail, the duct is minimally prominent. Here is the image by the head, it looks like there's some low density, perhaps cystic lesions by the head, but there is a low density if you look carefully between the duodenum and pancreatic head, and there it is better shown in the coronal view. And yes, the common duct is minimally dilated as is the pancreatic duct, but that low density matches the course of the duodenum. That's what gives it away, It's groove pancreatitis not groovy pancreatitis from the 60s but groove pancreatitis and if you look at the 3d the 3d is really helpful here you see the common duct the pancreatic duct but then you also see the low density between the duodenum and the head of the pancreas that's a very classic appearance so often the volume rendering surely the coronals make it easy to recognize the diagnosis if not you can't confuse this with a subtle early carcinoma an article by uh, Bernucci this past year talked about the overlap between several pancreatic or peripancreatic disease processes and carcinoma, the problems that it can mimic tumors, whether it's CT or MR or ultrasound. We also speak about, in this article, the fact that you may have false negative studies. And with pancreatic cancer, one of the things we do see from multidisciplinary conference Patient comes in, vague abdominal pain, they get a CT. Maybe it didn't have IV contrast, maybe it did. Maybe it didn't have dual phase, rarely does it. And you look hard and you can see that there's a subtle transition, maybe a focally dilated pancreatic duct, maybe a subtle lesion that tended to be overlooked. So pancreatic cancer is commonly overlooked. So then we say false negative studies, small lesions can be missed. We're doing deep learning project, the Felix project, to try to pick up these small tumors. Sometimes with small tumors, you don't see the secondary signs, common duct, pancreatic duct dilatation. Sometimes the only thing you see is a pancreatic duct. My experience is if you see a dilated pancreatic duct that you don't see a mass, you need to biopsy or DUS, there's a high probability the patient has a subtle lesion. Maybe it's what's considered an isodense pancreatic adenocarcinoma, but there's something there. and we look at things like pancreatitis both acute and chronic and recognize that at times they can hide a lesion and so you're uncertain whether there's lesion present so that's always going to be a possibility and of course we've spoken in the past and we will continue to speak about scan protocols how important the right protocol is but if you have a crappy protocol you're going to end up with a crappy study and here's just a nice example showing you in the body of the pancreas About a one centimeter lesion, it's low density. You see the dilated pancreatic duct nearby, adenocarcinoma, and the timing and phasing is not just a adenocarcinoma problem. Remember, with neuroendocrine tumors, they're very vascular, but only typically on arterial phase imaging. And this is an example of what is a vascular lesion, a bit over 2CM in the head of the pancreas. Now if you look, there's no dilated common duct, there's no dilated pancreatic duct but the lesion seems to be obvious. But what if you only had venous phase imaging? Now that head of the pancreas looks normal, you wouldn't have said a word. Here you would have missed a large neuroendocrine tumor, which is very obvious on the 3D on vascular phase imaging. So again, timing and phases are everything. If you don't have arterial phase imaging, you're gonna miss neuroendocrine tumors, essentially every time. Now the reverse is true sometimes the arterial phase alone is not going to be good enough. So in this case, this patient was referred into us for a carcinoma of the tail of the pancreas. You see what looks like a mass, but you realize the patient has textural change in the liver. The patient has cirrhosis and you say, wait a second. And on venous phase, look at those large varices present. So the patient did not have a tail of the pancreas tumor, but had very large varices present, which are also shown on the coronal view. So it's again important to realize you could have the wrong diagnosis for a number of reasons. You saw something, but you didn't realize what you were really seeing or its significance or lesions are too small and they can be subtle. But again, with state-of-the-art imaging, they are very much uh, gettable. Now if you go a step further, when you talk about mistakes in diagnosis and staging, uh, one of the things is not every tumor is an adenocarcinoma, even though with pancreatic cancer, and that's what our main uh, focus is at the multidisciplinary conference, patients are often referred in without a biopsy or a biopsy pending, or at times, it's about three to five percent, the biopsy interpretation is incorrect. But remember, many masses are not going to be adenocarcinoma. It could be a cystadenoma, it could be a neuroendocrine tumor, which I showed you on a moment ago. It could be metastasis. As patients live longer, we see METs. Lung, kidney uh, might be a good example, melanoma. You might have a primary biliary tumor simulating a pancreatic lesion. And of course, there are things that are considered peripancreatic, from duodenal gist tumors to duodenal adenocarcinoma, lymphoma, and metastasis to nodes simulating pancreatic cancer with nodal disease in the colon, from colon cancer, or perhaps from biliary type tumors. Now here's just a good example. You see on the narrow windows particularly a mass that's in the body of the pancreas. And if you look hard, there's a transition in terms of density. It's obstructing the pancreatic duct. And here it is in coronal view. You see the higher density mass component, you see the low density, you see the cutoff of the patient's pancreatic duct. Well. That appearance is classic for tumor. Now, if you said this pancreatic adenocarcinoma, I guess you couldn't be wrong, but you know, the adenocarcinomas are usually hypodense. This is relatively hyperdense, but it's not dense like a neuroendocrine tumor. Well, at the end of the day, this patient had a history of breast cancer. This was metastatic breast cancer to the pancreas. So sometimes you will be wrong, but the patient would have been worked up correctly. And here's another example of a patient with breast cancer which is metastatic to the pancreas and invades the portal vein. I would have looked at this and have thought about the way you have this meniscus where the portal vein is invaded. I would have thought about this as a neuroendocrine tumor which has grown and invaded into the portal vein and causes cavernous transformation. Nope, this was metastatic disease from breast cancer. So again, very important to be able to uh, think about those possibilities and you can see, for example, in that last case, when I take it into 3D, you can see the portal vein SMV splenic vein confluence is occluded, large collaterals are present. Or this case, patient was sent to pancreatic conference, the patient was joined this. Well, you see the dilated intrapatic ducts and the dilated common duct, and you follow it down and you come into this large mass, which is better seen on coronal views. Now, there's no way that's an adenocarcinoma, I would have thought, you would have considered pancreatic cancer, but you realize the epicenter is really duodenum, this was metastatic melanoma, now the thing that throws you off perhaps is a dilated common duct, which you say, aha, that means you're dealing with a pancreatic cancer, but it's important to realize that things based on location can also cause ductal obstruction, so it's not just going to be adenocarcinoma. Or in this case, this looks like a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreatic head. It's vascular about two and a half centimeters. Well, when you look at all of the images, you then have to put the epicenter and look at the vascularity of the lesion. And I could convince myself that it's still coming off the lower head or uncinate, but this was actually coming off the duodenum. And I'll show you another image. This was a duodenal carcinoid tumors. So sometimes carcinoid tumors, sometimes just tumors, can be problematic. And again, we like to say when you have pancreatic cancer, that's when you have ductal obstruction. But metastasis, or in this next case, dilated common duct, intrahepatic ducts, which we follow down to a large infiltrating tumor of the duodenum. Now you could say, could this be an ampullary cancer? Well, this was a duodenal cancer, which was bulky, involved the ampulla, obstructed common and pancreatic duct. So the presence of ductal obstruction does not mean you're dealing with a carcinoma of the pancreas. Again, very important to look at all of the images, the coronals and 3D make it very easy. Now, reality is if something's an adenocarcinoma of the duodenum, the treatment of that patient, at least from a surgical perspective, is the same as adenocarcinoma of the pancreas. And here's just another example, large bulky ulcerating mass of the duodenum Could this be pancreas invading the duodenum? I guess it could, but it wasn't. And here you can see the common duct was also dilated down to the tumor. Just a very, very nice example. Now, I mentioned sometimes you have to develop skill sets to understand how things look. Here's a big mass set for pancreatic cancer, but you notice the mass is homogeneous, it's solid, and there's no dilated ducts. If this was a pancreatic mass, it wouldn't be an adenocarcinoma. Those are typically low density. They're not homogeneous and they're infiltrating. Maybe this is a large carcinoid. But when you start looking at the images, a carcinoid in that region occurs, but usually in the wall of the duodenum, but then they're vascular. The same thing with the gist tumor. Well, large gist tumors typically aren't vascular. If you look carefully at this lesion, it's really in the duodenum or the epicenter of the duodenum. It's not involving the portal vein, and on the last image is not involving the hepatic artery A GDA. This was a GIST tumor simulating a pancreatic mass, and we've seen this time and time again. Here's just another example. This looks like a classic pancreatic adenocarcinoma off the Uncine process. Here's another view, and here's another view of that lesion. Well, this was an exophytic GIST tumor, so sometimes you're just not gonna be right, Um, I thought this was a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas. You wouldn't have said adeno because it's too vascular, but neuroendocrine would have been a really good example. And just a beautiful example of a neuroendocrine tumor, perhaps, but in in truth, it ended up being a gist tumor. So it can be challenging. Now when you look at some of the things in terms of uh, staging of pancreas uh, of tumors, so we said errors. Beyond just the pancreas, false positive, false negative liver metastasis, incorrect staging of vascular involvement, incorrect staging of the venous side, so not just the arterial side, the presence of carcinomatosis, including implants and omentum and mesentery, which can be overlooked, the potential mispresence of a second pancreatic primary, particularly in patients with dilated ducts due to a, a neoplasm arising from an IPMN. You want to make certain this is solitary and not multiple lesions. These tumors do have field defects, so multiple tumors are not uncommon. And although these routine CT exams may be diagnostic for pancreatic cancer, it's important to recognize in this article by Al Hawari, and we've spoken about this, how if you want to really be certain about the presence of a pancreatic mass and what type of mass it is and the staging, you need to have dual-phase imaging with 3D mapping and here is that article. This article also talks about templates. There's a big push now to have templates for evaluating the pancreas. Uh, but this article also focuses on technique very much that it made the point that if you wanna do a template for reporting, you need a template to make certain that everybody is scanning the same way. And so you need to have 3D imaging if you wanna be accurate. You need multiplanar reconstruction. You need thin sections and you need dual phase imaging so it goes back again to some of the things we said initially which is that if you want to do things correctly the success of a pancreatic cancer study is dependent on the ct protocol again rate of injection five cc's arterial and venous phase at about 30 seconds and 60 to 70 seconds the importance of thin sections the importance of post-processing all of these are critical parameters and if you don't do it correctly It's one of the reasons why you have misdiagnosis in pancreas. And there's an article by Gerenstein in surgery. Clinicians need to be aware of potential considerable disagreement among radiologists about the presence of a pancreatic mass. The specificity for malignancy doubled by expert radiology reassessment when a uniform definition of pancreatic mass was used. So people need to know how to uh, understand and read the studies as well as how to report the studies. And this article by Gerritsen also makes the point that the specificity for malignancy of pancreatic masses identified in expert consensus was twice as high when compared to the initial CT report. So basically, people who have a lot of experience do a lot better and miss a lot less. So it's something very important to remember. So let me conclude then. Review of complex cases in a multidisciplinary setting provides insight into scan interpretation and results in an improved radiologist experience. It's one of my favorite things during the week. I learn a lot every single time I go to that uh, session. And many pitfalls in pancreatic imaging are predictable and careful interpretation strategy is needed to avoid them. And the importance of multiplanar and 3D imaging. And with that, have a great day.